Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. What we're doing as a church family is we are processing through a sermon series that's entitled Grow Together. Grow Together. And this morning's sermon title is Brothers and Sisters, is the title that I'm giving. Now, before I jump into the sermon, though, I wanted to make mention of something that we're going to be broadcasting this afternoon at 4 p.m. through the City Church website. And that is, is that as a, as a pastoral team, we've been having a, an ongoing conversation that has lasted, quite frankly, many years. But we've had an ongoing conversation just about um, the need for prayer in our nation not only that, um, just biblical conversations about how we handle things at City Church, why we do things the way we do. And so I want to encourage you that if you would please join with us at 4 p.m. this afternoon, we will be broadcasting that conversation that we are having as a pastoral team, and you'll kind of be able to get an understanding of why we process the way we do. Now, what governs us here at City Church is pretty simple. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church. That's what we are. Biblically-based means that we take Scripture seriously. We believe that the Bible teaches us who God is, how God reaches us, and we also believe that in the midst of that, we're challenged, we grow, and as you already heard, I'll be teaching a course starting February the 2nd about the Bible, how it's one continuous story, and how to read the Bible well. Not only are we biblically based, but we're relationally driven. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus taught that the way to do life is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? It means that relationships the center of life. Your relationship with God and your relationships with people are the center of life. And not only that, we are a spirit-led church. And what that means is, is we believe the Bible teaches and we've experienced that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live out what we learn from Scripture and empowers us to live radically transformed relational lives. And so again, we are biblically based, relationally driven, and spirit-led. Now, as we're talking about being brothers and sisters, I want to begin with which is undoubtedly the most famous passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. You may know it as the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches us this prayer as he casts his vision for his kingdom. You will note that Jesus um, gives a sermon, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. He's standing on a mountain, and I'm not going to go into all the details, but Jesus is retracing the steps of Moses. Moses stood on a mountain, he received the law of God, and Moses cast a vision for a people and a kingdom. Jesus is now standing on a mountain, and he delivers a sermon where he cast the vision for his kingdom, of which he is the king. And in the midst of that, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, he teaches us how to pray. He brings what's called the Lord's Prayer. How many of you have ever prayed this prayer once in your life? At least once, all right? All of us. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to read 
this prayer out loud. We're going to read it together out loud. So are you ready? Are you ready? All right, let's read this out loud. Here we go. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now again, how many of you ever, have, have you ever prayed that prayer? You pray it once in your life. What we're going to do now is we're going to read it again. I'm going to read it, but I want you to observe something that's key in the prayer. Because listen, Jesus was Jewish, and prayer is the central reality of the Jewish life. And so when he's teaching on prayer, he's teaching what's at the very core of a life in his new kingdom. Now, I want us to, you to look at it while I read it again, and you're going to notice something. Here we go. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do you notice the pronouns? They're plural. At the center of Jesus' kingdom is prayer. And at the central reality of prayer in Christ's kingdom is us, we, and our. There's an understanding in Jesus that his kingdom is going to be a relational one. It's a relational one. A man by the name of Dick Foth has been a mentor to me. He's actually now mentoring my son. But about 25 years ago, as he became one of my mentors, he taught me a phrase that I've never forgotten. And it's a phrase that's literally captured from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation all the way throughout the story of Scripture, and it's this. Together is better than alone. It's a biblical maxim. Together is better than alone. Because of this, as a church, we are going through what we're calling growing together. As you are well aware, we are going to be using Pursuit for the next 21 days. It's a book that covers, it's a devotional book that covers 21 days that will lead us in unity in a season of fasting and prayer. I just found out that we have again given away all the books that we purchased, which now we're to the tunes of hundreds of those things. You can still get it on Kindle, which is how I purchased it, and therefore you could start with us today. But I want us to understand again that Jesus Christ understands that his kingdom is going to be built on our we and us, that it's about being relationally driven as people. But Jesus actually becomes even more radical than that. Notice in the prayer that the first two words are our Father. Do you notice that? You see, in the teachings of Jesus, 
There is the radical view that his followers, the church, are not just called to be together, but to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to see each other as family. I don't think I can overstate how radical that is for the day of Jesus. Family was at the core of everything about Jewish life. And yet Jesus shows up on the scene and he begins to teach his people that we are to view each other as family, brothers and sisters. So quick question, how many of you have brothers and sisters, natural ones? Raise your hand. Come from a family. How many of you are thankful that you have brothers and sisters? How many of you are a little unsure depending which day it is? I know my son Peter, ever since he uh, can, could talk, clearly expressed to my wife and I how unappreciative he was of us having two more children. He was very clear about that. He had wanted to be the only one. But when we begin to talk about the family of God and we talk about being brothers and sisters, here's what I know. Not all of us, when we hear the word family, have a good sense of that. Or when you hear the term brother or sister, it does not always evoke positive emotion. I know this. I know that there are many people who are part of the city church family where family was not what they had wanted it to be. I know this. I also know that there have been those that are part of the city church family that if they had to redo life again, they would pray to be part of a different family. Understand that. No family's perfect. There never has been one. Believe me, as a parent, I recognize that. I confess that freely, that Fran and I have not raised the perfect family. We haven't done it. But here's what the good news is, is if you've come from a family that you would not sign up for again, know this, God put you there for a reason. He did. And not only that, but the family of God Brothers and sisters that are sitting in this room can bring healing to you in a way that you never dreamt possible. I was raised in a family. I've told you before, I was adopted. I wasn't raised in my natural family. I was raised in an adoptive family. I was picked. I was chosen. Now, the truth of it is, is that in the church, I found oftentimes what my family did not provide. And that's not to besmirch my family. I had a great family, great adoptive parents. It was a great family to be a part of. But in the family of God, I learned things. I was healed of things. I was given a vision of what family could be at a new level that I never knew existed. So now what I want you to do is look around the room. Look real quickly. Look at your brothers and your sisters. Look around. Some of you are looking around going, ugh. I'd have never picked her, man. Not in a million years. I would have never picked him. Some of you are actually pointing at each other right now going, I'm glad you're a part of it. And they're looking back going, I'm not so sure if I want you. But God knows. And here's what I discovered in my life. That I was encouraged, healed, and strengthened by sisters and brothers in Christ that I would have never met had not God brought them into my life. It's been stunning to me 
people that in the natural I would have never picked. I can remember being just a young boy, a preteen boy, stepping into church. And when I went into this church, there were people that took an interest in my life. They remembered my name. They loved me. They cared about me. And it actually kind of creeped me out at the beginning. I was an introverted farm boy who was stepping into a church where people wanted to hug you and the older women wanted to kiss you. It was creepy, literally, but I stepped in and here's what I knew. I knew that what was in that room was unique. It was powerful. It was transformative. And so when Jesus begins to cast a vision for his kingdom, he begins to talk about family, how God is our father. And if he's our father, it's logical to know the next thing that's happening is there's going to be sons and daughters, therefore brothers and sisters. And there's going to be a call of Jesus to live in a way that is profound. Now a little bit about my brothers. I'm gonna talk about my oldest brother, his name's Fred. Fred and I are quite a few years apart, but Fred and I had a lot of things in common. He was natural to my parents. My brother Scott, who's the middle child, was adopted, and I was adopted as well. Scott and I have no natural connection. But my oldest brother, Fred, um, was someone that I was relatively similar to. I love sports, he loved sports. So things like this. Fred ran cross country, so guess what I did? I ran cross country. Fred. Uh, played ice hockey. So guess what I did? I played ice hockey because I thought that's what you did. If your brother did that, you do that. Now, the other thing my brother Fred did was he played trombone. He was a trombone player, and he was one of the best trombone players in the country. I don't even know how you know that, but he was. And so guess what I did? I played trombone. And when I got into high school, although I loved trombone and playing it, I began to get bitter against Fred. Here's why. Why couldn't he have picked a cool instrument? Right, girls weren't impressed if you played trombone. In fact, it was probably maybe a little bit of a deterrent. But if he'd have played electric lead guitar, I'd have been someone. And if, or if he'd have played drums, that could have even been better because I was in high school in the late 70s and early 80s, and man, if you were in a band, you were something. Well, there's not a lot of trombones in rock bands. I don't know if you've noticed that. So that's something I hold against Fred. Now, here's the other thing that I've taken notice of, though. As some of you know, as I serve just as sort of the ad hoc chaplain of the UVA wrestling team. Actually, we had a, a duel on uh, yesterday. It was a lot of fun. But one thing that I noticed two years ago, I was at the NCAA championship. I was there in that arena watching four days of wrestling. And here's something I began to take note of. How many times the announcer would say, here's Joe, and Joe's now in the quarterfinals, which means he's an All-American, he's top eight in the country, and he's there trying to get into the finals. And the announcer would say, funny enough, he had a brother that wrestled. I began to literally take note of this. How many times top-performing wrestlers had brothers that wrestled? Took note of this. So what I did then was I began to think about some of the wrestlers that I know, and lo and behold, there's a set of brothers who are the assistant coaches for the UVA wrestling team. 
So the picture that you see involves Travis and Trent Paulson. So they're the assistant coaches. They serve with Steve Garland. Steve Garland is the head wrestling coach, comes to City Church. His wife, English, is part of our, our, our team here. She works with us. But I want to just kind of share with you a little bit about the credentials of, the, of Travis and Trent Paulson. Travis, who you're looking up, he's on the right, is a three-time All-American. He's U.S. Open national champion, U.S. senior world team member for the U.S., first team academic All-American honors in college as well. He's a two-time alternate to the U.S. Olympic team and was a four-time national team member. That's Travis. Now, here's Trent, his brother. Trent was an NCAA champion, three-time All-American, two-time Big 12 champion, two-time academic All-American with honors, four-time national team member, one-time world team member, U.S. national champion, and a Pan-American champion. And oh, by the way, I forgot to mention about Travis that he was a two-time alternate to the U.S. Olympic team and a four-time national team member. That's pretty impressive. Would you agree? Pretty impressive. So I reached out to Travis and Trent, and I asked them, being brothers, how did that help you become the best you could be, having a brother? And so Trent texted me back the following. I want to read it for us. Here's what Trent wrote. We always have viewed being twin brothers. They're twins. Twin brothers as an unfair advantage. Isn't that amazing? Reading on. Five things come to mind. One, being you always have your best workout partner at your disposal. How many of you ever had brothers and they would beat you up? I had two of them. Well, one more than the other beat me up. And uh, you kind of had your workout partner whether you wanted it or not. So he talks about that, that he's got this workout partner at his disposal. Number two, two, the sibling rivalry creates a unique competitiveness. Neither wants to concede to the other. Bragging rights at home come to mind. Three, you know how one another ticks, so it's easier to push buttons to produce maximum effort. Four, Deep down, no matter how competitive it gets, they are your blood and you will always want the best for them. And the fifth would be conflict resolution. Example, if competitiveness hits extreme and fist fights occur, that was a confession, I think, and fist fights occur within 15 minutes, they are already best friends again, brothers. Isn't that fascinating? How these two athletes became world competitive wrestlers because they had a brother. Here's what I believe. I believe sisters and brothers in Christ do that for all of us. That each one of us spiritually has an opportunity to grow in Christ because of the people that God has put in city church, in other churches, and other places where you fellowship. Now what's amazing to me is that did not only Jesus mention God as our Father in the Lord's Prayer, but not soon after, 
or soon after in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, there's an episode where Jesus clearly deals with this. Here's what the text tells us. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone said, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And I love the way Luke chapter 8 verse 21 puts that last sentence. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now we have to be very clear about what's happening. Jesus is teaching in a home. The crowd is so great, people can't get to him. His mother and brothers have showed up and here's why. They think he's crazy. And the text clearly tells us they show up to confront Jesus and tell him to knock it off. It's true. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, here are my brothers. Now we've got to know who's in the room. Picture this. On Jesus' left is a dude named Simon the Zealot. You know what a zealot is? A zealot is someone during the time of Jesus that believed that violent revolution was the way that the kingdom of God needed to advance and the Messiah would be a general who led an army that would destroy Romans. That's Simon the Zealot. To Jesus' right is a guy named Matthew who wrote the gospel we just read from. And Matthew was a tax collector, meaning that he took money from Jews and he gave it to Romans. He's the most hated guy in Israel. And picture this, there they both are sitting as Jesus' disciples and he says, Simon the Zealot, and oh, by the way, the guy that Simon would have wanted to kill, Matthew the tax collector, are sitting there in front of Jesus and Jesus says, you guys are brothers. You have to understand how radical this is. How radical it truly is. Now, how do we put feet to our faith with what we've learned? We put feet to our faith by starting with the command Jesus gives us. In John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, a new command I give you, love one another. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus admits this is a new command. Love one another. He goes on to say, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I think about my first church experience. I was raised on a farm. I was an introvert living an isolated life. And all of a sudden, my mom begins to take us to church. And in that church was a very weird, eclectic group of people. Let me explain. It was during what was called the hippie movement. And in this church were tons of hippies, and the pastor was a clean-cut guy. They looked nothing alike. And I remember stepping into that context knowing to the depths of my soul there was something different in the room because these people are supposed to hate each other and they don't. They love each other. 
That was my introduction into the kingdom of God. But as we think about being brothers and sisters, I want you to look around the room again. Look around real quickly. We have people from different ethnic backgrounds. We have people from different socioeconomic realities. We've got people here who are different ages. And yet we sit in a room together. And when we do, Jesus does something unique if we will but take the chance to see each other as a family and as brothers and sisters. The final text that I want to talk about is Ephesians 4, 1 through 8. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, the Apostle Paul is looking through the lens of what Jesus has taught us. And looking through the lens, he is now a prisoner for the faith. The Apostle Paul is waiting to be executed. And in Ephesians 4, 1 through 8, here's what he writes. As a prisoner for the Lord, by the way, we often know the value of something when we can't get access to it. Paul's now a prisoner. He can no longer be with the people he loves. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Have we been doing this as followers of Jesus? Have our Facebook posts look like this? Has our social media look like this? Has the condition of our heart look like this? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You know, it's sad to note that in the church, the same things that have divided our culture has begun to divide the church. Same issues, same exact ones. And so we have people that say they're followers of Jesus. But if you have a view of X, you're dead to me. Jesus says, that's wrong. Here we discover that there's the unity of the Spirit and in that verse, it says, make every effort to keep that. So when you and I step into Jesus, instantly we become part of the body of Christ. Jesus births unity by his spirit, but we must keep it, fight for it. Make every effort to keep unity. Because if we don't, we will end up as fractured as people that don't know Jesus. I mentioned that I have two brothers. One of them lives in Greenville, South Carolina. He lives on the right coast. My other brother lives at Venice Beach, California, the left coast. He and I have very different beliefs on almost everything, but we love each other. Why? He's my brother. When you have a brother, you never let go. You never do. And the problem in the church today is brothers and sisters are becoming more and more rare. What the world's done and what the world's doing has infected and infested the church. And it's time for us to get a hold of our hearts.
and to recognize that we need to love people the way Christ called us to. And that means to be humble and gentle and kind and patient and long-suffering. Does it mean that we don't rebuke people? Sure it does. If you love your brother, you rebuke them. If you love your sister, you confront them. But at the end of the day, we would say what Trent and Travis said, that at the end of the day, they're your brother, and you love them, and you figure out how to move forward together. But nowadays, even in the church, things are getting far too fractured and divided. So I want to challenge you as we now all stand together. As we stand together in God's presence, I want to encourage us, before Lily and the worship teams leads us in worship, or actually Gracie leads us, that we would close our eyes in God's presence. Take a moment to examine your heart. Would it be said of you that you could only be with people who not only love Jesus, but then there's a list. If someone doesn't agree with you, they're out can't have fellowship. Look, the thing that holds us together is Christ and the spirit of unity and the diversity of opinion and the diversity of looking at life differently is what speaks of the power of the gospel that holds us together. But can we now examine our hearts for just a moment? Allow the spirit of God to examine you. Are we patient? Are we gentle? Are we loving? And are we kind? And are we making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit?